Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Secret Scan. I'm your host, Open Mike Eagle. Welcome to uh, the most enjoyable podcast in the world. That's uh, that's not just me talking. That's some serious market research. Um, I polled three people, and um, none of them knew what a podcast was. But I played them this one, and they all marked uh, at least enjoyable on the Matrix. math um it's been a cool week um i was looking at the itunes ratings for uh music podcasts as i am want to do um three to five times a day and uh secret skin it got as high as like number 32 that's out of 200 so thank you guys for listening and telling people and and listening <laughs> and subscribing and rating and reviewing all of that helps our ranking and um helps us get sponsors which helps the show continue to exist i got editors man celebrity editors all right gotta keep the lights on here in the closet but shout out to hannibal burrs who was on last week uh this week we have Anthony Fantano of the Needle Drop. Before that, um, I wanted to get to a couple of listener questions. They're not quest skins, because quest skins are when people um, record themselves talking to their phone and send it. These are ones that they are forcing me to read. You know, I'm lazy. This first one comes from Joshua Hegarty. It's a lot of words. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. It's called White People in the N-Word. I've lived in St. Paul for about two and a half years in that time. Uh, I've seen you perform in the cities three times. Every time I go to a rap show, I notice that there is a huge community of white people, which is fine on its own. But sometimes it gives me pause, especially when I hear people singing along and using the N-Word when singing along. I'm mixed, but pass real hard for white. And I don't use it because I don't feel okay with it. Like, that's not part of where I came from. I'm mostly writing to ask about your thoughts on when white rap fans use it. The only black rapper I listen to that I know that doesn't use the word in his songs is P.O.S. And he makes a point of not doing it. In your songs, it feels really intentional to me when you use it. Like, there's some weight to it. I was just wondering if you have any thoughts you might want to share on the matter. Thanks, Josh. I said I was going to paraphrase it, and I didn't at all. I read every word. Um, I am not a person who thinks that white people should say that word ever for any reason at all. It's really, it's pretty clear and cut and dry to me. Um, there are some who don't mind when, um, people who are not black say that word when they're singing along with songs. I am not one of those people. Uh, I don't think a song lyric, um, gives license for for people to use words that um that are inappropriate i guess is a, is a good way to say it um i say in my song ziggy starfish that uh, i think there's in groups and there's out groups and i believe in making distinctions uh and that applies to how i feel about um most slurs um 
Like, I'm not like a slur fan. But I do think that people that are in the affected group, uh, I don't feel like they shouldn't say it. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. Um, like, uh, women want to use the B word. I say, fine. Uh, if, if, um, people in the gay community want to use that other F word, I say, that's fine. I think that's their prerogative. Um, and then people like to say that there's some double standard to that. And that may be true, but I think what people should understand is that the, um, those words, what's contained in them is the institutional racism or gender bias or sexual orientation bias in the society. So that me as a black person, uh, I have to be aware of the N word. And I'll say that, uh, in this context, I have to be aware of the N word in a way that, uh, white people don't because I have to, I, I have to be aware of what it means when someone says it to me when I'm in Alabama, if that makes sense. Um, the word can mean life or death to me. Um, I think it's the same with, with um, people in the gay community and, and that word. I think like they have to be aware of the context and they have to be very familiar with it. Um, I, think, I think that gives them a certain license, that familiarity with it, what it means in their lives. I'd like to talk more about that with someone else. Not just myself in a closet. I'm tripping over my own thoughts in my closet. Anyway, thanks for the question, Josh. Hope I made myself clear, and I know that I probably did not. Our next question comes from Adrian. He says, hey, Mike, I was wondering if you could talk about how you came up as a hip-hop artist. How did you make a name for yourself? What advice could you give for artists out there trying to get heard? And how much is it to get you... Oh, well, I'm not going to read that part. Uh... Yeah, that's that last part is private email business. Um, but in terms of how I came up as a hip hop artist, I actually just published an interview I did with Forbes this week. And um, in it, I talked about all of my business, all of my business, all of my business from top to bottom, from merchandise to touring to management, uh, all of it. And um, I think it's a great place uh, to read stuff like that about like stuff like the question you're asking about how I came up and and, and what advice would I give um, you know I do think that it's there's there's some very serious steps that are simple that an, that an artist must take uh, to get heard and I outlined quite a few of them in that article so go check it out well that's enough uh, yapping out of me on this week's episode we have Anthony Fantano of the needle drop. This man has a YouTube channel with 600,000 subscribers. And it's a music channel, a music reviewing channel. Um, his, his over 100 million views, I think, combined. Um, you know, I became aware of him after he rated a bunch of my records or reviewed a few of my records and, um, you know, Milo's and Bus Drivers. But everybody's, uh, you know, as as high up is the Kanye's and Taylor Swift's of the world um, to very niche independent artists like myself and everything in between um, so when he was here in LA I got a chance to talk to him he was here doing something official for YouTube um, and I talked to him about what it's been like to have a relationship with YouTube 
uh, and a bunch of other stuff about like uh, what goes into making his videos, how much music he has to listen to. A lot of things I was very personally curious about. That stuff would drive me up a wall. All right, folks. Uh, this week, Serengeti and I were going to be in Chicago and Madison and Milwaukee and Minneapolis. Uh, February 18th through the 21st. Check MichaelEagle.net. Not MichaelEagle.net. Because I do not own that. MikeEagle.net. Check MikeEagle.net for the details. Yes. But aside from that, pre-order the new album. Hella Personal Film Festival. And uh, yeah, let people know about the podcast. Scandinavians. Uh, people who are part of my special special skintrist group. People with um, skinterlocking fingers. I don't know that was a stretch. But there's a secret radio hour. There's a secret radio hour. And this is it. Check, check, check. Can I get some level from you? Hey, yo, check, check, check. Gonna check, check this mic. (laughs) That sounds good. How are you today, sir? I'm good. I'm tired. We're here here with Anthony Fantano. Uh... The uh, internet's busiest music nerd is asked the tagline, right? Yeah, you know the tagline. Right. Don't act like you don't watch every one of the reviews. I can't watch every one. You watch every one. You've watched every one that I've ever mentioned you. Or uh, one, I, one prob- of your that's quite possible. And, I, and you watch them over and over. I, my kid. My kid you told is me problem. your kid's a huge fan. My kid. I mean, and he goes through phases of things. So I would say for like a couple of months, he was like, Obsessed. I want to watch Anthony Fantano. And it was just one video specifically. It was a why you know review. And the reason we it even came up is that we were watching bus driver videos. And you were saying why you didn't review uh, bows and arrows. Bows and, bows and, yeah. But he wanted to watch that video mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Bus driver? Bolseros. This thing is an experimental hip-hop album that challenges norms and blends genres, and I would expect nothing less of Bus Driver. However, on this LP, he sings a lot more, and I'm not a huge fan of, of his singing voice. It just sounds really strained and ruins the LP for me, honestly. Though I do have to admit, this is a very creative and eccentric album. You're based in Connecticut. Is that where you're ba- from? I'm, yeah, I'm from Connecticut. I'm a New Englander through and through i can dig it and i just uh hopped on a plane in the middle of yesterday afternoon to get over here in the middle of the evening so that i could do this shoot today for youtube i'm appearing uh in an ad for something that youtube is going to be launching this year and um it turned out to be uh, an opportunity to kind of see a really big video production, mm. which I'd never seen before. You know, everything I usually do back at my place is super low key and low budget, and and you do all your own shooting and you you do all your own editing as well. Everything. Yeah, you know, and uh, um, I have a buddy of mine who uh, I pay to edit at least several of my videos sure. a week, and basically just what he for does the time, is, I'm, I'm yeah, assuming. absolutely. You know, he chops them up. And just kind of gives me a rough cut of what right. I did because obviously afterwards I need to go over it to be like, do I really want to say that? I kind of repeated myself there. I kind of want to cut that out and reshoot something and put something else back in. It's just because uh, it's just been sort of demanding more and more time the longer I do it and the, the larger it's kind of grown. 
is it weird at all to have a relationship with YouTuber? I mean, I guess in your in your field it won't be because primarily your platform mm -hmm. is YouTube. There's got to be how many channels total? It's got to be hundreds of thousands of oh, yeah, YouTube absolutely. channels. There's this pretty interesting website called Social Blade, okay. where you can pretty much punch in the name of any YouTube channel, and it gives you all the stats and how many subscribers they're getting every day, how many views they're getting every day, wow. and, and all that stuff. You know, you could even punch in my channel over there. Whereas uh, sitting at around 550,000 subscribers right now, which is amazing, which is crazy, you can go over there and it tells you that I'm essentially like. 3,070 something in terms of YouTube subscribers. Wow. So they're like in the ranking of channels. So there are like 3,000 channels that are doing as well as me and, and way, 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 like astronomically better. Wow. And underneath that is just countless other channels that are, are probably infinite at this point. But, and I imagine, okay, a good 75 to 80% of all people who have a channel, YouTube will only exist to them basically as a website that they upload things to. And it might occasionally get a flag or something but never communicate with any people there like what was it like when when that when that started to happen for you i think one of the first times that somebody at youtube uh reached out to me in any kind of way it was probably around when my channel maybe hit 100,000 subscribers mm -hmm. and so they were kind of giving me uh, access to this person who if something did go wrong or if i had a question or you know, had anything going on with my channel, I could just kind of approach him, which definitely helped because uh, there there was a point when all of my 2009 videos, which at the time I used to use song clips in those videos, whereas once I got partnered, I stopped that because they had told me that uh, I wouldn't be able to monetize my videos if I continued to be like, hey, here's what this part of the song sounds like. So even if, even if it was a short clip, it was subject to copyright? Yeah, it was subject to copyright. And not that maybe it could have been argued for fair use in court, but still, fair use gets kind of gray when you're talking about stuff that's, that's licensed as fair use, but you're making money off of it. And simultaneously, it still could have ended me up in a situation where I could have been in court and not had the money to kind of defend myself. And, you know, obviously a record label would. When you say that there was someone to talk to, uh, my brain immediately went to, okay, well, if there's a technical issue or something. But it was beyond that even. It's just uh, it's it a channel coach. Nice. You know. In, in a sense. That's nice. Um, but, you know, not so much that he had the answers to do what I needed to do. You know, I mean, he could answer a lot of basic questions. I mean, if, uh, you know, if there were any kinds of questions about how I should be running my channel often, you know, it would just kind of be referred that I check out the YouTube playbook, which is actually this kind of PDF that anybody has access yeah, to. Yeah, I have that, that too. I, I bailed on it pretty quick, but I do have it. I actually applied quite a bit of the nice. advice from it and actually saw quite a bit of success. Sure. You know, the thing is, there are a lot of, you know, pretty big viral hits on YouTube that kind of come and go and sort of doing what I do as long as I have. I've seen a lot of channels kind of rise and fall in sure. relevancy. And um, it really has a lot to do with consistency. You know, if you can be an expert or give somebody a certain perspective or a point of view that they can't get anywhere else on a particular topic and that topic is interesting and you can be timely on that topic and you can continually deliver content based upon that topic and content that's engaging and that sure. people like and find entertaining um, you're going to advance in some kind of way 
you know, once I read the playbook, uh, I was kind of surprised to see how many things that the thing recommended that I was already doing. Sure. Like one thing in particular the, that the uh, playbook recommends is, is one of the most important things is probably this term that they call tentpole programming, where essentially you're releasing your content based around uh, relevant cultural occurrences, which in my case is nothing but album releases. Right. So the point at which a particular album is being searched the most on the internet, is my review's already out. Yeah. So that's everything I'm doing every week. Uh, one of the things you said was having a distinct point of view. Do you feel like you have to adhere to a distinct point of view in terms of uh, your critiquing or anything? Is there is there a point of view? Um, I guess my point of view is just kind of reflected in a my taste and the stuff that I choose to review. I mean, there are a lot of uh, way more YouTube reviewers now than there were when I started. Sure. Um, you got a lot of children out there, man. I got a lot of children. I feel like Drake. <laughs> I feel like Drake on the song featuring Drake. And, you know, I, hey, I love a lot of those channels too. You know, some of them I watch personally. I mean, some of my favorites right now are probably uh, some of the guys I've been collaborating with recently, like uh, Luke James and uh, ARTV and the mark over a spectrum pulse uh, i'm continually a fan of dead end hip-hop i love those guys i think they're great and they're still my favorite youtube review channel and you know i i what i do currently is not as good as what it could be in my head hmm. and you know sort of in my head i sort of imagine like the ideal you know sort of reviews to be that discussion format that they're already doing right you know but the thing is like you know they got to it first and you know they're doing it well so, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to step in on that sort of territory. And also, you know, I don't have the the people at my disposal yeah. who I would want to pull in. I think in. that's key, too, is that they already kind of had a community going. They they were already good friends. Right, exactly. You know? and, and they, and, and they and just happen the to thing. have these distinct different and, points and of view. And the thing is, is like, there's a person in the crew for every direction that your taste in hip-hop could yeah. take. It's amazing. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, really like the stars aligned. Like, the first time I saw it, I was like, is this real? Like, is this? But it it is, and it's so genuine, and they're so passionate about what they're passionate about, and it's amazing. Sure. When I heard the title, To Pimp a Butterfly, the only reason that title made sense to me is I had heard this poet, and I wish to fuck I could remember her name, because I really feel bad, and I'd love to shout her out for this, because I thought she came up with the with the whole idea. But she was saying how black people are butterflies because we start off in a cocoon and the cocoon is kind of imposed by outside forces, right? And then after a while, those outside forces, they can step away and then we start to self-impose the cocoon. Mm -hmm. And then you have other entities that are coming in and they're pimping that struggle of us breaking out of that cocoon and becoming a butterfly. Mm -hmm. So when I heard that title, I was like, damn, that's dope. Not a single motherfucker wrote me about any of that or any of the content all they talk about the man kendrick man yeah. kendrick is the best rapper yeah. man it's the best album ever made yeah. da, 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 da. Yeah. i don't even think they're really listening and sitting down and saying this is what this album means this is what these 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 ideas mean after point of view you uh, you also said timeliness mm -hmm. how many videos are you uploading per I'm week pretty much doing a, a video a day video a day yeah people who create content for a living ask me all the time like what's your secret what's your schedule how are you able to keep to this you must be like you know militaristically adhering yourself to a set 
sort of amount of time that you do things. And, and it's just, that's just so far from the truth. Mm. Like, I feel like every day is like pretty much every day is like one of those Steven Seagal movies where he's just surrounded by a bunch of guys and wakes up like, out you know, and fight. Yeah. And you're just like punching and kicking in every direction. <laughs> and you know, every person in that fight is like something to do on my to-do list. I see. So I'm just kind of like spin kicking all the shit that I need to get done <laughs> throughout the day. And I'm sure, but I'm sure just doing that every day gives you a certain amount of organizational skills. It, it gives you improvisational skills, not so much organizational, I see. you know, like it, it gives you the ability to just kind of get shit done on the fly, you know? And like when you're in a pressure position, you just kind of get it done. So, okay. Cause you're improvising, but it also sounds like it does take some intense planning. You have to know days in ahead what video you want to be released on what day. I have like a calendar that I keep where I just kind of keep track of what the albums are sure. that I'm going to review. But the thing is like, that's really all I plan. And for, and for the most part, it's because it's all I really can plan because just so many surprise albums come out. Singles come out that you Singles end up talking about. That yeah. I want to talk about. So there is a little bit of planning, but it's mostly that I'm to a point where I've done it so many yeah. times. Yeah. Even before the review is done, I know what the review is going to be. You know, right. I don't know totally how I'm going to feel and what I'm going to say, but the format is set. It's in stone. And I can just continually kind of grind through delivering that format again and again and again and again. How many... Uh reviews have you done so far do you keep account i don't know how many of them are reviews but on youtube right now i have over 1700 videos that's amazing it's wow. pretty crazy wow it gets me to wanting to ask you like how do you feel about your place in terms of music criticism like do you consider yourself a journalist i do and i don't like I don't consider myself a music journalist in a way because I just kind of feel like I'm a music fan who's on, you know, YouTube and is just really passionate about kind of sharing in the musical experience. I don't so much feel like I'm reporting on anything other than I guess just my own personal feelings. Sure. Um, however, though, I go on other music websites where people, you know, probably very proudly put the title music journalist on their income tax returns. And I find these people acting in a very, I guess, immoral manner as far as journalism goes. And, you know, uh, uh, I guess kind of running a very shady ship or whatever. If I thought that the current music journalism landscape was completely perfect and not in need of anything like what I'm offering, I wouldn't have even started. Well, what makes you not want to just completely embrace it? I don't know. I just kind of feel like having studied journalism, I think journalism is a really, you know, significant thing. We studied in, sense. in school, college? Yeah. Okay. Is um, that what you, did you get a degree in it? Uh, it was a minor. Okay. So, what was so, your yeah. major? I kind of did a, a bit of a liberal studies thing. Okay. I did three separate minors, journalism, political science, and uh, broadcast communications. Okay. Journalism to me is is a really powerful thing in concept. In actuality, uh, the state of journalism today is actually fucking awful. Uh, I would agree, especially in music. Especially music, but the thing is, news is really not far behind. That's uh, true. News is actually worse than it's ever been. I mean, it, just a few weeks ago. Uh, on multiple newscasts, local newscasts in America, some international broadcasts. My photo was used in oh, yeah. a bunch of news wraps about the the Oregon Community College shooting. 
uh, saying that this is this is the killer. Yeah, I saw a graphic of that, and I didn't. I thought that was just a joke. I didn't know that that actually it happened. really happened. Were you able to trace back to how that happened? Well, it happened because there was sort of a twenty-four hour period where the killer's picture had been discovered on the internet, but the news wasn't releasing it. And on 4chan, especially on the music board, people were already making comparisons of our looks. Okay. And <laughs> oh God. Especially on especially on Twitter, you know, because I was wow. getting tons of tweets that are like, you know, Anthony, is this you? Anthony, why did you kill all those people? Anthony, what a fucking you know, horrible day that must have been for you. Well, it's you know, honestly, like it's just just awful and bad taste internet humor, which I get a taste of it every day. Of course. You know, so I saw his picture online and I said, oh boy, you know, here comes a flood of <laughs> comparisons because being bald headed and having glasses is enough to <laughs> just <laughs> make you look like somebody else on the internet. So that kind of created a 24 hour period where the internet was able to proliferate enough comparisons between me and him to the point where once news organizations actually started looking up his picture and started putting his picture onto their broadcasts, when you Googled his name, my picture showed up. Wow. So people were just grabbing these pictures that they saw in Google image search and just using them on the news broadcast. It's insane. It's crazy. So how do you primarily receive the music that you critique? These days, it's it's pretty much just digital. You know, I get tons of digital promos of, of albums in advance, which it's it's weird. That so like it PR doesn't, agencies and all PR that. agencies and artists like yourself mm-hmm. and bus driver kind of giving it to me themselves, sure. Sure. you know, because they just want me to hear it. And it's it's just kind of strange how it doesn't just dawn on people that that's how it works a lot of the time you know a lot of the time i get questions like anthony how are you reviewing this album and it just got released today and (laughs) and it's like well i mean when you have a youtube channel that five hundred thousand people watch on a regular basis and And maybe some musician thinks it's a musician to have have, uh, this guy i should i should get that guy this album ahead of time so that when my album comes out he can be saying something about it. So if it. that's the case, I mean, how many how many albums do you think you receive a day, even if you count the ones you don't pay attention to? <sighs> the ones that I don't even see that hit my spam folder. Um, oh, wow. A week, I probably get over 100 albums sent mm-hmm. to me. Honestly, PR people, if they're working with certain labels specifically who I know continually put out music that I review and that I'm interested in, I will keep a close ear to those people. But outside of that, you know, I, it's more effective to spend my time listening to what my listeners are telling me is actually good and hot mm. and popular. Not that that's always, I guess, a guarantee of what's actually for good music, but it at least tells me what they're liking. Yeah, you know, so like because, what's on their radar, even if you're not necessarily super into it. Exactly, because, you know, there are a lot of artists that have huge PR campaigns, which essentially are just nothing but facades, because... I have a pretty amazing audience as far as, you know, different musical tastes goes because, you know, there are kids who a lot of the stuff they recommend to me, I hate it. But, 
you know, these people seem to, you know, take what I'm saying seriously. And I still appreciate that, you know, and I don't take that responsibility and I don't take the weight that that person is putting on my opinion lightly. Now, simultaneously, you know, every month I make sure to review at least a handful of records that really have no hype behind them. And they're just kind of like, you know, personal pet albums to me. And I think they're really good. I think Mm -hmm. they're special. And you've got to kind of keep releases like that in rotation because moments like that, where you turn people on to stuff that they wouldn't have heard otherwise. And that's kind of what keeps them coming back. You know, uh, Bob Boylan over at NPR had told me in a conversation one time that people will forget what you told them, but they'll remember where they heard it. Right. And, and that's the thing, you know, if you become that inception point where people, you know, are, are hearing about artists that mean a lot to them and they would never would have heard of them if not for this kind of platform that you create. They have a personal experience at that point with, with that platform. You know, it's, it's giving them something that they wouldn't get anywhere else. So, okay, if you get 100 albums in a week, I mean, how many of them do you actually end up listening to, you think? And we're like, we're not even talking from front to back. That's size. You know, because so, the thing is, because so the thing is, I'm listening to, you know, maybe several tracks from a particular album and I'm just like, you know, get out of here. And, and that's the thing, you know, if I, I won't even say that I'm not listening to many albums from front to back every week, hmm. you know, and this is what any artist who's obscure needs to do. You, the people who you're trying to reach out to, people like me, you need to put your best song forward. For sure. You know? And the thing is, I'm listening to tons and tons of songs every week. You I, know? Actually, uh, I learned that with my first album that came out through Mush Records, one of the most valuable things that they ever told me. Because when I handed in the album, it had this big, long-ass intro, and like, you know, it was like a couple of skits throughout it or whatever. Because I was trying to do this whole thematic thing. He was yeah. like no this is your first album dude like maybe on the third one people will listen through a fucking intro (laughs) right now you need to put the hardest hidden song right there up front yeah Yeah. and that's the thing you know you're as much as as an artist you might have this concept in your head is like you know this perfect you know amazing very involved and very heady and very intricate album if nobody knows who you are especially in the internet age they're not necessarily going to risk that time which people see as very valuable i mean it may seem like most people are wasting it these days and a lot of them are but you know they still don't want to spend that time doing things they don't like and they don't want to sit through albums that they think are boring you know just take like to pimp a butterfly for instance i was talking to somebody earlier today about it kendrick lamar album for people who don't know yep that's such an against the grain album as far as mainstream music goes and that is not a record that he could have made or would have been as successful as it was had he not come out with section 80 right had he not followed it up with good kid mad city which as exceptional as that album is it's a very trendy album mm-hmm. it's yeah, very it's poppy with the production especially it was de- very much uh of the time if not just a little bit ahead but definitely you know sounding like things whereas so, to remember butterfly sounded nothing like anything else really that was an album that he made with a budget and with a network of people who he had only gotten a hold of because he had sort of proved himself kind of in that ability to make immediate music that hits people instantaneously. Then now that, you know, he's kind of past that point and proven himself in that way, he's been allowed to kind of indulge in this really grand way. Not a lot of artists today are allowed to, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense though. If you look at artists like Eminem, if his last record sold $4 million, and this next one is projected to sell six. If it sells three and a half, like people are losing their jobs. 
You know what I mean? Like it's that serious, and like so, a guy like that, as, even though it's still three and a half, exactly. Million. It's just it's based on projections. It's based on what they spent. It's based on who they're able to keep on after that. Sure. So a guy like him, as as experimental as he may want to be, he may feel beholden to like having to do what it takes to hit these numbers. Hit me. When the four corners of this cocoon collide, you'll slip through the cracks, hoping that you'll survive. Gather your weight, take a deep look inside. Are you really who they idolize? To feel for butterflies. Are you able to, to just still enjoy music as just a sensory experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really only get tired of listening to music I don't like. <laughs> and... Honestly, I, I feel like bad music also has an important role to play, too, at least for me personally, because I kind of feel like it, music I don't like challenges me as much as music that I really do like sometimes. Because you have to actually describe why you don't like it, even if it's just to yourself. You for have sure. to have some sort of understanding of that sensation. For sure. And it gives, okay. me, it gives me a baseline, too. You know, and sometimes... Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, things sort of move in waves a little bit. I kind of find myself in in positions uh, where maybe for an entire week and a half or so, I'm hit with a slew of records that I'm just really unimpressed by, or maybe I'm hit with a slew of records that I think are really amazing or something. And and sometimes at the end of that maybe week or two week period, I kind of feel like, man, I really need a record right now that I love, or I really need a record right now that I don't like, or you know, right. do I like everything? Have I gone soft or something? You start to kind of question yourself uh, a little bit in those uh, in those situations. Although, I mean, I, I feel like I, I probably would so less if I kind of just gave myself the opportunity to kind of pull my head above water and breathe every once in a while when often I don't. A lot of the time in my own head, I, I feel almost as if, you know, I still have like 10,000 subscribers and I'm still like clawing and, and fighting and just, you know, really focused on doing what I'm doing every day because it's, it's got to grow. Whereas I feel like most people at this point would just be like, you know, let's kick back. Right. We're past the point of half a million. There was a point when I started where I only wanted to cover underground artists mm -hmm. and I only wanted to cover independent artists and like unsigned artists and stuff. And, you know, I figured that the, the albums that were larger uh, I would just be another drop in the bucket of discussion about them and that they're already big. There's no reason in talking about them. You know, I'm not in the business of making them more famous. Right. Uh, whereas over time I realized that sort of covering those larger artists brings in traffic, gets subscribers. And then when you talk about the smaller stuff, they see that as well. Right. You know, at least maybe not all of them, but a good chunk of them. And then after that, you know, you're actually showing an impact, you know, sure. and you're actually exposing those people to artists that they wouldn't see before. And, you know, I, I kind of have this pact in my head with my audience that, you know, I agree to sort of generally cover, you know, the things that you guys are recommending and saying needs to be covered. Right. But, you know, I don't have to like it. Right. <laughs> you know, I'll talk about it, but I don't have to say anything nice. That if sounds I, like if I don't a pretty good feel deal. Like it that sounds like you a know? pretty good deal. I think. Personally, I wasn't really a big fan of the record, but I did like its fusion of vintage vocal and chamber pop together with 
hip-hop beats. But there were a lot of things holding me back from loving this LP, like the cliche, dreadful, and childish lyricism, stereotypical bad boy love interests, and older men as well when she's trying to work that Lolita angle. At the end of the day, this LP has about the emotional depth of a middle schooler's diary. So how has it been to have relationships with artists that you covered? It's, it's interesting. Um, I'm fine with doing things like this because I respect you as an artist. I find you intriguing as an artist, even if your next record to me completely stunk. <laughs> I know that it would probably still come from a place of intellectual weight. Right. And I know that you are a full-grown adult who understands that if I don't like, you know, your next album, it's not personal. Right. But there are a lot of artists out there who I don't have that relationship with, and it's just kind of purely business. And, you know, you are sharing your record with me, and it's not because we're best buddies. It's because, you know, there's kind of like a bit of a business transaction sure. going on here. Is it typical, then, that you keep more of a distance? Um, yeah, it's typical. It's mostly very businesslike, and, and it's mostly at a distance. Although, you know, there's there's an incredible amount of respect there. And, and I appreciate it when artists, you know, do reach out and, you know, do watch the reviews which is why I'm super flattered when I see that people like, you know, Killer Mike watch the videos or, you know, I mean, even Kendrick watches the videos. When Section 80 came out, I tried to see him at South By and I ran into him outside of one of the venues and he was like, oh, needle drop Section 80 review. Whoa, whoa, hey. And, and after, it sounded like he'd been partying a little bit. Yeah, he, he was partying a little bit, so much so that he didn't show up to his set. Oh, so, a little too much. So me, me and my girlfriend at the time, uh, we just left and we were just like, you know, screw this. We, we're not going to stand around and just wait for him to appear. <laughs> and then as soon as we leave, he appears. There you go. So then, you know, we're talking. And once we get into conversation, you know, I mellowed out and, you know, it was, it was just cool to be talking to him because I He's, thought Section 80 was really good. I did, too. He seems like a pretty charismatic guy. So I imagine, you know, he's just really friendly and I couldn't be mad. And he was it was really funny. He was swearing to me. He was swearing up and down. He says, I'm, I'm really going to challenge you guys with the next album. Nice. I'm really going to challenge and, you oh, guys and that with was, the next that album. Was good that was good kid, Matt. Okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah. but he, so he waited a couple albums to challenge you then. But, uh, yeah, I, I suppose. He, he definitely had a bigger concept going yeah. into Good Kid, Mad City. Yeah, yeah, I mean, of course it was a way bigger album, but it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't taking a ton of risks on that album. And at first, you know, just kind of hearing that album on the surface level, the challenge for me was just not reacting negatively in such a way where I'm just like, this is just pop garbage, you mm. know. But then kind of eliminating my initial bias and actually listening deeper to what he was saying on the record instead of just kind of saying swimming pools that's just a drinking song or something you know that's just some party song for people to party to um and and the thing is that's a reservation that a lot of people had i remember prior to the release of the record he dropped backseat freestyle and the initial reaction was like oh he's dropping some pop rap bullshit and he's not like, even saying kinda, anything kinda half trappy yeah kind of yeah. like he's just not saying anything important anymore and he sold out but when you actually listen to the record in context it makes a lot of sense it's yeah. totally a part of the character portrait right. of the album so, yeah, certainly it is a pop rap record in a lot of senses, but I think it still had its challenges, at least for me personally. What is your relationship uh, with hip hop? Like, I know you listen to a lot of kinds of music because you review a lot of kinds of music. Yeah. What is your relationship with hip hop? My relationship with hip hop goes back, I mean, as far as I just started listening to popular music as a kid. I mean, thankfully, I had parents who... Um, 
not that they enjoyed hip hop or anything like that, but I never really, you know, got the talk that I know a lot of kids do that, you know, this is real music, this isn't real music, you know, sure. whatever. So I've always enjoyed hip hop music, although, you know, I wouldn't say my taste of it was exactly deep or anything like that. When I got in maybe the deeper years of high school and a, a buddy of mine had uh, turned me on to punk music, uh, it was kind of a bit of an eye-opening moment for me, and it sort of, you know, led me to this idea that this is a really cool underground version of rock. Hmm. There's probably a really cool underground version of all styles of music. It amazes me how people know? don't always make that leap. Yeah, this is like more around 2002, 2000, yeah, like so, 2002. Soul Seek. Kazaa. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lime a, good, a good buddy of mine yeah. and I who had turned me on to that punk music also turned me on to Soul Seek. So, right. you know, you're downloading full albums. Yo, half and... half of my MP3 collection to this day came from Soul Seek. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I have to let people know. Because to me, like, it's important for me to know that I was a pirate mm. because I know that I'm a big part of the reason why my the niche that I came up in is gone now. Yeah. Because I stopped buying the things because the things were for free now. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. So I have, yeah, I have to, you know, admit, admit my piracy. That. Yeah. Okay. That I killed, You're atoning I for it. your sins. I, you know, I have, I have to do that. I have to remind myself to keep putting money into the music economy, mm -hmm. even to this day. Like, okay, yeah. I, I do Spotify. I buy stuff off of iTunes just because, yeah, that's right. Like, I'm in this. You're Gotta in keep it. this machine going a Which little bit. Which I feel the same requirement as well, right. you know, as, as the albums that... I'm getting for free from a lot of these artists or getting for free from some of these labels, you know, I make sure to either buy it on iTunes if I find myself coming back to it, sure. you know, again and again after the review. Right. Like I'm if I'm listening to it for personal reasons, I should buy it. Or if it turns up in a record store, That's I should noble. probably buy it. So you you were talking about finding eighties hip hop. Yeah. I got really into public enemy and Africa Bambada. And um, eventually down the road, like Boogie Down Productions. Mm -hmm. So like 88 and, at that point. Yeah. yeah. 86, 87. So um, getting into a lot of that more political and much older hip hop, NWA as well. Although I, I guess uh, I preferred a lot of the East Coast stuff to the West Coast stuff. Um, I don't know what it was. You. Um, you know, I was finding out mostly about just kind of like major kind of historical landmark right. type artists right. and um going from there to like the early 90s and a lot of the boom bap stuff and the hardcore hip-hop stuff uh was pretty much you know what i was enjoying in high school and and part of college but uh the 2000s for me is kind of an era of hip-hop that i've been reconnecting with uh, because it was it was just such a dead zone for me as far as records that I that I thought were really amazing. Today's a new day, got the booty up in the suitcase. So go up town to Harlem, tell them that I sent you. Yep. Tell them it's August, I'm going to November. I need a couple birds, get abroad, have them sent up. How how uh, closely were you paying attention around the time uh, the diplomats happened? I mean, I went to college when they were at their most relevant. Sure. You couldn't escape them. I remember the adage at the time around uh, when Diplomats came out was, uh, you used to jock Anacon, now you jock Dipset. Because mm -hmm. that, that seemed like uh, all of the collegiate audiophile nerds, you know, that you know, ultimately became hipsters who used to do, you know, used to 
listened to all this underground music when the diplomats came out they thought it was so ironic and so great and so multi-layered that they went to that if i like something even if it's like a bad corny novelty thing it's because I really kind of like it for some kind of genuine reason. Right. I could never get into the me neither. Like the, the irony thing. I don't like the it. irony thing. So many people tell me about you know the this ironic love of Dipset in the two thousands that a lot of people had, but honestly, like the people who I was hanging out with, genuinely, uh, you know, genuine enjoyment. Of I Dipset. think most people genuinely enjoyed it too. I think yeah, it was the beginning of this thing that ended up horrifying me later when I understood what it was. Because I can't understand it. It's the same reason why a lot of people like Doom, but I didn't realize that this was why they like Doom, because it wasn't the same reason I like Doom. But um, People were liking Doom ironically? Yeah, well, not ironically, but it's in this sense. And it's the same reason some, like I feel like Odd Future was helped out by this as well. Uh-huh. That um, a lot of people who really aren't or have not grown up in any sort of hip-hop affected or close proximity community, they really love it when an artist kind of creates a world and then a person who's outside feels like they have a view into a new world, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I feel like people felt like they could access this diplomat's world with the way that the excess was done because it was done in this new kind of way, you know what I mean? And it felt like they could go along for the ride. And I think uh, it's kind of the voyeurism of it was an entry point for a lot of people. I I view it as a little different, I guess. I kind of see that ironic love of diplomats kind of being like the same group of people that would go on to ironically love Gucci Mane. It, yeah, but I would also see the voyeurism there. I remember when those guys first started, the Gucci's and the Wakas and all of that, like, mm-hmm. I think there's a good section of people who hover around the rap world, who whenever that new section or region or style pops off, they just gotta be there. Mm-hmm. They just Whether they get it or not. They just got to be there. I think that ironic love started with Dipset and then it continued on to artists like Gucci Mane. And then it kind of became this thing that just was festering and was allowed to exist for so long. And nobody really stamped it out to the point when once like little B came around, it sort of became like this post irony thing. (laughs) Whereas people just started like (laughs) genuinely enjoying what was going on? Nobody could really tell. Like, are are we really enjoying this right but now? See this. Like, I, I see now. And Little B is interesting because I remember when Little B first happened. I was like, okay, here we go again, right? Like the standards just been brought lower. Well, yeah, and is, I, is, I, is I, like I gotta, your is your initial reaction. I got to say at the time, yeah, because I definitely looked at what he was doing and was just like, no, the, the this is not is even if, like rapping. The thing is, for that's real. the reaction that anybody who likes or respects little b had initially because the thing is if you didn't have that reaction initially you wouldn't have been intrigued to watch more videos i see because i still i can't like listen to a lot of it like Mm -hmm. it messes with me to listen to it there's some rappers who like if i feel like their brain works in some way i don't understand like i can't really listen to it and it's like the time and attention thing you were talking about earlier in terms of people who you respect, who show you, you value music. your time and you right, want to spend like, it listening to certain things. I have to trust that a person kind of has my best interests as a listener <laughs> in mind. And he's one of them people where I can't really tell. But now, I, you know, I think when I've gotten some more of his context, like seeing the Twitter and seeing like some of the different things he said. Oh, OK, like this thing starts to make a little bit more sense to me. And now I can appreciate him way more than like enjoy the music you know what i mean because it's not really for me because that's the other thing too i think there was an initial 
rush of people who really were looking to him on that ironic tip, on the Gucci Man tip and all of that, I think those people are gone. But I think young people really access him. Like they really like, they get it. They get good, nurturing, warm vibes from what he's doing. I think they're, they're, they get food from what he does. He's just kind of like a bit of a motivational yeah. figure for, <laughs> for a lot of young people. And, and motivational is kind of the, maybe not the right word because I don't think he really motivates anybody to do anything. I think he just kind of gives off this aura of positivity that yeah. I think at the time was really lacking in hip hop. I think, uh, you know, now that a lot of alternative voices have really kind of shined through, you know, there's, there's a bit more positivity than, than there used to be. But I think at the time, you know, especially 2009, 2010, when he, uh, uh, you know, really started creating a lot of controversy for himself. Mm -hmm. The scene was, I guess, uh, especially lacking in the kind of positivity and absurdity that he was was bringing to the table. Because that's the thing, you know, he he came across as this rapper who was the anti-rapper in that he didn't take himself seriously at all. The first thing I heard about him, and I believe this after I first heard him, I thought he was literally like smoking crack and rapping. And I was like, okay, that, that makes sense because... These things aren't, they don't seem to follow any kind of like rap logic that I'm aware of. And I'm aware of many kinds of rap logic. Yeah. But like now, as we sit here, I feel bad about saying anything negative about Lil B. Because I've never seen him do that. You know what I mean? Like he just, he's such an example of somebody trying to be positive. Yeah. It's just, it's just hard for me to like be super critical in, of him, especially in the way that I used to be, you know. The positivity that he brings is so lacking, or at least perceived to be very lacking in the genre of music that he makes, that it almost gives him a total pass to make the worst music ever. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, like you can be the biggest little B fan and you can tell me he's the greatest thing and you can try to argue that to me on Twitter all you want, but you have not sat through that classical album that he did. Oh, that no. quote unquote classical I didn't album hear about that, that he did. So, you know, unless you own that album <laughs> and you've sat through it at least a dozen times and you can explain to me why that album is compelling to you, don't even argue with me on this point. And, you know, there, there are some little B tapes that I actually enjoy. Uh, however, there's not really any kind of real palpable logic that I could apply to why I enjoy it, you know, in such a way that it can even be reviewable. I find his music just totally unreviewable. Wow. You know, I, I really like the God's Father mixtape. That's probably my favorite. I think some of his most, I, I guess, positive songs to me are on there. Uh, as well as some tracks where I actually think he's rapping in a legitimately like I've heard him do that once way. or twice and that fucked me up too. Like yeah. really? So you can wrap your ass off when you want to? Like that almost makes it worse. <laughs> well the the thing is is when you find those videos, I've I've seen comments and, and I and I guess I feel the same way where uh, people are saying like, yeah, you, you watch all these videos and, 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 and you see little B rapping horrible again and again and again, but you know, the real fans, we stick around so that we actually end up seeing like the videos where he's rapping. That's well, crazy. you know, you've got to kind of dig for those moments where he's, where he's doing it well, but, but that's the thing, you know, I think he, he doesn't exist to kind of scratch the same sorts of itches that that an MC is kind of expected to you know and, and, he's, and, and, and he's an outsider way, artist in that way I can't help but feel a kinship you know what I mean even though like yeah, our, you, our someone like you would most definitely have to yeah you know? 
I wanted to say thank you for uh, sitting down with me and talking on on a talking on my podcast, man. I really appreciate the work you do. Thanks again. We're gonna shake our hands. You can't hear this. Yes, I, I don't. We're shaking just, yeah, hands. I guess uh, I have some some shaky bones in my wrist. You might be able to hear if I get close enough there. But uh, yeah, thank you, Anthony. No, thank you for having me on. Of course, man. I enjoyed this conversation. Me too. All right, peace. And ladies and gentlemen, that was my talk with Anthony Fantano of the Needle Drop. Um, if you're one of the few people on earth who don't subscribe to his YouTube, go search the needle drop, um, check him out. He does great work on reviewing albums, big and small, uh, across the land. And, uh, he's very entertaining at doing so. He's got, uh, he's got, he's got some characters he involves every now and then, um, and some storylines, but, uh, you know, I appreciate he always gives his genuine opinion. Um, I put out an album late last year that I heard he didn't like very much. I didn't go seek that review out personally because, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm not a glutton for punishment, but um, he's, he's a consistent guy. Uh, he doesn't play favorites. Uh, he likes what he likes and he doesn't like what he doesn't like. So check him out. Um, continue to uh, share the podcast if you're enjoying it, letting people know about it. Um ratings and reviews on iTunes. I know I sound like the brokest of broken records, but it really does help. So um if you listen to this and you have a button on your device where you by which you can go to iTunes and 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 give me five stars, I would like that. Um uh, the show would like that. The show told me so. My celebrity editor, it would put him over the moon. Oh I'm sorry, him or her. Okay. Cause it changes sometimes, but they're still celebrities. All of them one day I'm going to do an expose on who my um, editors are, but not anytime soon. We're inching up to episode 50, man. We got some more cool guests coming, coming up, coming soon. So stay tuned. Skin intelligence quotient havers. Uh, that was bad. This is secret skin. I'm over Mike Eagle. Peace.